Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers and a very happy Father's Day to all the doting dads out there. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. You've tuned in to the hippest, the hottest, the coolest culinary conversation and you can feed your insatiable appetite just by tuning in every weekend. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen and the delicious conversation starts right here and right now. I welcome you to my kitchen because whether you love to cook or love to eat, you are bound to find something you will love on this show. I hope you'll visit chefjamie.com for my features, forums, recipes, cooking videos, and more, and become a friend and a fan on social. I'm at Chef Jamie Gwen, where you will find my daily dish. But you can take your cooking skills to the next level just by staying tuned because I believe that a meal is a terrible thing to waste. Don't you agree? Coming up, there is inspiration and it abounds. Stacey Adamondo, you know her as the executive editor in chief of Savour Magazine. Well, she has a new cookbook release out called Piatti, and it is the pleasure of serving from plates and platters, various tastes, flavors, and textures in Italian style. We're going to dish on antipasti, and it's going to make your summer menus, so don't touch your dial. Also, before the end of the hour, Dan Whalen is here, and he has some epic ideas for upping your s'mores game, and that sounds luscious now, doesn't it? But first, it's time for gazpacho, that is. When the weather warms, to me, gazpacho feels right. And I like to kick off this show with ideas and inspiration to make you the best cook you know. And I have a love affair with gazpacho. So I was hoping to wax poetic and give you some insight Maybe it's because I was raised on gazpacho, my mom makes a killer one, or because it's a blank slate for a palette of flavors. If you top a chilled bowl of gazpacho with chili grilled shrimp or brioche croutons or a spoonful of burrata, you have a meal and you have it made. Now, gazpacho is the soup for cooks who don't like recipes. It's true. The cold Spanish classic is traditionally made with ripe tomatoes, right? But it is so very adaptable and it screams summer. There is, of course, an Andalusian gazpacho that's made with bread and copious amounts of garlic. It's a white gazpacho and I love it. It's a very different recipe, uh, but more on that in just a moment. Back to the red tomato gazpacho. It's really a simple technique that takes just minutes. I think it's the perfect starter in a shot glass for your summer barbecues. You could even spike it with a splash of tequila. I mean, why not? It makes a nice main course for summer nights. And it's more of a drink than a soup if you serve it in a glass. Red gazpacho is everywhere in Seville, Spain, where my recipe comes from. Uh, There, it's not the watered down sort of salsa, grainy vegetable puree. 
In Spain, it has texture. It often has bread added for viscosity. Um, It's creamy orange, pinkish rather than lipstick red in color. And that's because a large quantity of olive oil is required, and I mean required, for making delicious gazpacho rather than making take it or leave it gazpacho. This rule applies to pesto as well. And as you embrace a good quality olive oil, an extra virgin olive oil that becomes your house olive oil, I hope that you will feel the need to use it more. It adds mouthfeel. It adds flavor. It adds texture. It adds bite. And for gazpacho, it's essential. Now, gazpacho is an emulsion, uh, often of red tomato juice from fresh tomatoes. Some chefs add tomato juice. Um, I like cucumber juice. Oftentimes, I'll use a golden olive so that you get that color, the, the smooth, almost fluffy texture. So, let's make a batch, shall we? The base of great gazpacho starts with epic tomatoes. Because the preparation is raw, there's really no hiding a substandard specimen. And juicy tomatoes are an ideal tried and true base, especially if you're growing them. And if you are, let me know. I'll come over. I'd love some. Thank you. But you can substitute canned tomatoes if you can't find beautiful heirlooms at the farmer's market or ripe red romas at the supermarket. Uh, if you're going to use a canned or cardboard box kind, please use the ultra pure tomatoes in puree. Then, of course, for gazpacho, there is the accent, as I call it. Soft herbs like basil, mint, parsley, cilantro. Uh, some chefs and great cooks alike like a little bit of heat from a fresh or dried hot pepper. Finely chopped garlic is essential. And then adding an acidic element, even more acidic than the tomatoes, brightens the gazpacho. Sherry vinegar is my main go-to. Other vinegars work. Lemon or lime juice, uh, a splash of hot sauce all suffice. Now, the texture is really very personal. With gazpacho, as with peanut butter, there are two camps. You can go chunky or you can go smooth Or you could live in my world where I go both. So it can be rusty, rustic rather, and and chunky or smooth and elegant. If you like texture and chunk, then you add it at the end. And I like my gazpacho, as I mentioned, smooth and chunky. So I will process the gazpacho in the food processor or for me, the blender. I think it's the best tool for the job. And then I finish the soup with body. I reserve some of the diced cucumber. I add uh, sliced avocado. I'll put in those chili grilled shrimp and I'll add it at the end. Now for a thicker soup, as I mentioned, Shards of rustic bread or even a handful of raw almonds added to the gazpacho when you're blending and that good dose of good quality olive oil all adds richness. Now back to garnishes for a moment. Purists opt for nothing but chilled tomato goodness, right? But I like toppings. So consider a spoonful of ricotta cheese or even crumbled goat cheese. How about garlicky croutons or 
crispy prosciutto, slices of prosciutto that you bake until crisp and then you crumble. You could throw a few steamed clams on top, yes, or a crab claw. That sounds delicious, right? And as for the white gazpacho that I mentioned, that's the Andalusian gazpacho. It's a classic cold white Spanish soup, and I serve it as a first course, and sweet Red grapes are the traditional garnish, but I've done small cubes of watermelon. You can do apple as well in the off season. And it is my bonus recipe for the week. And I would love to share it with you. So for my Andalusian white Spanish gazpacho recipe, it's not posted anywhere and I want you to have it. Email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com and I will send it right to you. By the way, I am loving the response of this new weekly bonus recipe offer and I'm loving your feedback about the show. So thank you so much. Uh, I am always interested in feedback. I always want to learn. And after 17 years of a blessed radio career thus far, I am delighted that I can add a new element to the show and see the response. So again, that bonus recipe for my white gazpacho sent to you, just request via email, jamie at chefjamie.com and keep it coming. Okay, you can find a bevy of red gazpacho variations on my website, chefjamie.com, where I'm always serving up seconds. And I'd love to know how you make your gazpacho. So send me an email on that as well, please. Okay, it's time for food news this week. Oh, and Krispy Kreme has big news. The world-renowned donut brand is opening a Times Square flagship store early 2020 next year. This is a first of its kind. Hot, fresh donuts around the clock 24-7. The world's largest hot light standing 15 feet tall, and oh yes, a glaze waterfall, to name a few of the many attractions. You can watch the entire donut-making process from stadium-style seating, and they will serve more guests annually at the Times Square flagship Krispy Kreme than they will at all the other Krispy Kreme stores in the world combined. There's lots more excitement coming up, so don't touch your dial. Stacy Adamondo is here to dish, and we are making antipasti in all its glory, celebrating summer in true style. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with lots more to chew on right after this. Unleash your inner chef and get your fix of culinary entertainment. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The start of an Italian meal is magical, don't you agree? Savor Magazine Editor-in-Chief Stacey Adamondo considers it, and I quote, the best moment, unquote. Her new cookbook release, a soon-to-be bestseller that is taking the food world by storm, is entitled Piatti, and it celebrates plates and platters for sharing inspired by Italy. You've heard Stacey on this show often, and I am delighted that she's back. 
Her new book draws from her Italian heritage and her love of Italy's traditional abundant antipasti. Organized by season and ranging in size from bites to larger dishes, the book is filled with priceless advice to pull off an impressive spread without formality or fussiness, but with ease and love and elegance. The book is visually stunning. It is a feast for the eyes and the palate. And I am over the moon that Stacey Adamondo, the author of the new book release, Piotti, has stopped by once again to dish. Hi there, Stacey. Glad to have you. Oh, you're just the best. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be back. And I think you are the best. It's the Mutual Admiration Society on this show. And the book is beautiful. I almost I, I took it upstairs to um, at home to read and, you know, go page by page. I almost slept with it. It's funny. I've had multiple <laughs> people tell me that. I'm like taking it as the highest of compliments. And you should. Like I wanted all of it to just soak into my brain and... It, I, I found it tremendously inspiring for the new ideas and for the, for the memories that it brought to, to light and, and to the forefront for me of time in Italy. Like it, it really did conjure up those extraordinary food experiences that I never want to let go of. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Thank you so much. Yes, and well-deserved. Okay. Can you define antipasti, please? Or piatti specifically as well? The literal translation and then the deeper meanings or, or feelings it has for you. Absolutely. So this is a book about antipasti largely. However, I really took antipasti, um, which literally you know, translates to before the meal. That's its Latin roots. Um, I took that a little bit more as a lifestyle. So I took it out of bounds a little bit. So in Italy... There are so many courses in a formal meal, um, and actually, I you know I say formal, but that's also the case in sort of a really special dinner at home as well, mm-hmm. um, and some lunches too. Um, but basically, I think of antipasti as enough to sort of suffice as a grand meal in and of itself if done right. And in Italy, if you've ever traveled there, those platters are abundant, and they just you know, they're delicious sitting out at room temperature as much as they are when they first come out to the table. So you're apt to just sort of graze and graze and graze as the wine keeps flowing. And hmm. to me, like, I can kind of stop there sometimes. Oh, so I for thought, sure. You know, I really wanted to celebrate this tradition, the way that it's experienced in Italy, introduce Americans to more of that kind of lifestyle of that course in general, but then say, if you don't want to serve an, an entree after that, because frankly, who wants to prep that after all this stuff? Like, just let that be the meal. Let that be the way that you entertain and the way that you dine at home. Um, so that's what the book is. And piatti is the Italian word for plates, sort of just broadly. Um, so we used it because, again, these plates inspired by antipasti are really sort of adaptable to whatever you need them to be. See, the meal that you're talking about with family and friends slowly grazing and snacking without an entree that just, you know, the spread goes on forever. And I mean that literally and figuratively. It it spreads the table and then it goes on for hours and then you finish with uh, affogato or uh, more wine and dessert. That's my, rosé all day, by the way, that's my kind of meal. (laughs) Yeah, I just love it. I love that moment, like, when everybody's gathering together and you're giving hugs and you're welcoming each other. And then, like, those first plates kind of roll out from the kitchen. And 
I, you know, I always say, like, everybody's flush is just starting to hit their cheeks <laughs> from the wine. Oh, and yes. it's like just the most celebratory moment of the gathering. And I just wanted that moment to basically last all night. Mm. And that's why I wanted to sleep with the book. Uh, there are some guidelines at the start, and you share the simplicity and the casual approach to grazing, but you also allude to an impressive spread where, you know, like you say, and I love that, use your best china, your best stuff, but it doesn't have to be just plates. It could be a board. It could be on parchment directly on the table, right? Mm, definitely. Well, I think something that's confused a little bit here is that we think of an appetizer or a first course, and often people think of these little, like, fussy finger foods. Mm-hmm. And that is the complete antithesis of what this is and what antipasti is in general. It's very much a casual, family-style, um, you know, large, abundant platter full of food. And either at certain restaurants or people's homes, you can sort of just walk up to the antipasti table and help yourself, or... It just sits out at the table and you can kind of pick and grease and fill your plate with the combination that makes sense to you. So the last thing I want to be doing when people are coming over is standing and like fussing over a tiny bite of food, you know, that someone's going to eat in one bite and I'll just be over. Like this is torture, I think, to a cook. And then after that, you have to prepare all these other courses. So instead, I just, you know, the antipasti that I know from Italy just sort of blends that line. It's this very sort of family style main course. Um, you know, big platter preparations, and they're a little bit messy, and they're sort of, you know, it's even better when there's like little pools of olive oil mm. at the bottom of the platter, or yes. there's something kind of like hanging over the edge <laughs> that you can just grab with your hands, or, you know, there's um, like utensils in some dishes and not in others. Like, I let it just kind of be what it is and let people eat it the way that they want. If they want to eat it hovered over the platter of the napkin, great. If they want to take a fork and in, in a plate, like, great. At the end of the day, it's sort of just, you know, a come one, come all, help yourself. It's not supposed to stress the cookout. You know, in Italy, it's the first thing that you put out. So you've got a lot more to come, and it can't be difficult. It has to be approachable and easy. So it's simplistic, but just elegant and really, really welcoming. Yes, and it has texture and flavor on so many different levels, you yes. describe building and, a meal of piatti with building blocks. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is you, you, the beauty of it is that you can mix and match. Yes. Right? So you've got maybe like a really gorgeous, you know, roasted pepper platter. I do one in the book that's sort of a spin on the caprese salad, which I find kind of boring personally. So <laughs> I do mine with either grilled or, you know, roasted under the broiler peppers and leave a little bit of that charred skin on and break Mm. the peppers up into strips and then lay the mozzarella. And I actually do um, fresh chili slices on top of that for a little bit of texture and heat. Yes. So, you know, something like that brings all these textures together in one, but then you eat that alongside a piece of crusty bread. Mm. You might eat that along a shrimp that still has the shell on it. And all of a sudden you've got this sort of like whole world of flavors and textures all coming together and not just the same bite of food one after the next. Okay, so if you've just tuned in, you're late because we are dishing on the Italian culinary culture that is Piatti. Stacy Adamondo is here, and we'll take a quick break. Uh, grab a snack, come on back, because I'm sure we've made you hungry by now. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away.
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with author Stacy Adamondo. The book is Piatti, and it really is the most inspiring, vibrant new take on antipasti we've seen in a long time. If you're making jardiniere, oil-preserved eggplant, or garlic confit, call me because <laughs> I will gladly come over. Those are the things that tie it all together. I'm simple prosciutto or your uh, roasted pepper caprese and and one or two other flavors create that textural that colorful that flavor explosion that to me rounds out the meal. Well, thank you. And the idea of the building blocks in the beginning of the book are things that you can make and sort of short-term preserve in your fridge. So it might be a vegetable that's like really simply for 2 minutes you know, blanched in a little bit of vinegar, and then you preserve it under a pool of olive oil. It's a very Italian technique. And basically that sits in your fridge so that if somebody comes over and all you have in your house are like little pickings of things here and there, Hmm. there's always going to be something colorful. And, you know, it was preserved at its freshest, and it's just sitting there waiting to be, you know, spooned out of the jar and on top of your cheese board or your charcuterie board or your other things that you're serving. And all of a sudden you've got this very you know, bountiful sort of garden focused spread. So those things are so easy to do and store away for later. Especially when you make such good use of a pantry. You have some antipasti staples that I could sit down to without almost making anything fresh. Yeah, well, that's the idea. I think the pantry, you know, and again, those sort of preserved foods, um, you know, tuna packed in olive oil Mm -hmm. or um, I love oil packed anchovies. You've done so many dishes in the book, but just in life to kind of add a little salty umami flavor. You can put those in a pool of their own oil and throw a sprinkling of whatever herb you have in the crisper drawer on top, and that's a dish, you know, with a nice piece of bread. Mm. Um, I like to have assorted nuts around, again, for that textural component, but also if you have that and an herb and a little nub of cheese in your cheese drawer, you have a pesto. You know, you could do a pistachio pesto to serve with your, you know, crispy cold vegetables. Mm. Um You can do a walnut pesto to serve on top of a couple slices of citrus in the winter and have a citrus salad. You know, all of a sudden you've got things to choose from when you have those staples lying around in your pantry. Oh, definitely so. You know Stacey Adamondo is the executive editor of Savour Magazine, having graced this show very often, and um, I'm grateful she will continue to. But we are dishing on this beautiful Italian feast of antipasti, or piatti, small plates, and sometimes larger. Um, can we make a summer piatti spread, please, Stacy? Oh, indeed. I, I'm doing that daily. Yes, I know you are, and I love that. So I very selfishly chose all of my favorites from your book. Love it. I thought we should make charred radicchio and corn salad. Two wonderful ingredients that pair beautifully. Thank you. Well, this is a dish that people have been gravitating toward and a photo people are gravitating toward. Gorgeous. For sure. Gorgeous. I mean, radicchio, just to me, it's that kind of vegetable that in the States, I think, gets left behind on the supermarket shelves. It does. A lot of people don't know what to do with it. It's very, very bitter. Um, which I absolutely love, and I think Italians are very used to working with and adding things to complement. But here I think we don't celebrate it as much. So I really wanted to do a salad that spotlighted it as one of the main ingredients. And this one is sort of a warm and cool salad. So it's got grilled, you sort of cut the radicchio into wedges and throw it on the grill for a few seconds, and that gives it a little bit of char and wilts the leaves a little bit and tames a little bit of the bitterness. Mm -hmm. And then I mix that with summer corn from the grill, some sliced fennel, 
I use the fennel fronds for a little bit of green character, and then I make this really fresh dressing with lemon and lime juice, a little bit of fresh garlic, and some really good olive oil. And it's like a killer side dish in summer if you're having a barbecue party, but it is also the best welcome dish, just totally full of color and gets kind of like the juices flowing in your palate. Mm. And it screams fresh and it is absolutely beautiful to look at. And I agree with you that charring the radicchio or during the fall and winter, I'll roast radicchio to go alongside a pork tenderloin or um, any protein. And I think that the natural sugar comes out a little bit. And like you said, does tame the bitterness, the grill, like a the barbecue or a grill plate is is even better because the spokiness that it imparts rounds it out. That is a beautiful salad. Then I thought we would seriously follow with, um, well, I found a few favorites. The marinated blackberries and cantaloupe, the nectarine, salami, and arugula, uh, olive oil, cornmeal cake. I'm up for any of them. Well, the good news is that all of those, I mean, especially the blackberry, marinated blackberries and the nectarine and salami salad, those take like less than 10 minutes each. Mm. And the cornbread, it's less than 10 minutes active time for sure. It's mixing things in one bowl and dumping it into a hot pan in the oven. And that's the end of that. So I love that. It's so aromatic. It just smells like the rosemary and the honey and olive oil that you sort of Mm. douse on top when it comes out of the oven. And it just perfumes into the air and is the most welcoming thing to serve alongside any of this. Fruit salads, um, fresh vegetables. You can do a, a, you know, sort of rustic meat dish with that on the side. It's one of my favorites. It sounds so light and lovely. And then go back to the grilled shell on shrimp, if you would. Um, You speak about them in the book as a beautiful Italian way of saying uh, that these shrimp with freshly made garlic oil are like a welcome one thing, one of my favorite things about this dish, so it's shell on shrimp, just, you know, again, grilled quickly. You can even sear them in a pan if you don't have a grill. And then we sort of douse them with what I call a salmorillo sauce. Um, it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a loose interpretation of that. But in Italy, that's a southern Italian sauce that's got olive oil and a little bit of lemon juice, but also, you know, Sicilian oregano. Um, I believe there's some, you know, black pepper and garlic in there sometimes. So it's almost like a pesto made looser by olive oil, Mm -hmm. so more like a dressing. And I, you know, sear these shrimp, leave the shell on, and then just douse them in this sauce with all these fresh herbs and some garlic and great olive oil. And the shrimp kind of just sit and marinate in that sauce as, you know, friends roll in and the party goes on. And I suggest, honestly, biting in or, or sort of cutting in, leaving the shell on, because so much of the flavor of really fresh, delicious shrimp mm. lies in their shells. Yes. And you can eat the shell, and a lot of people don't realize that. But it really just it absorbs all of that sauce, and it keeps the flavor of the seafood like really pungent. And just like it's just like a wham, like one or two of those per guest. That just makes such an impact in an antipasti spread. Yes, and then everyone sort of digs in and gets their fingers dirty, and it 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 yeah. becomes intimate and wonderful, and then exactly. the party goes on from there until we finish with roasted cherries. Ooh. Yes, I I noticed on on the um, well everywhere on the internet you're you're being talked about, um, but your roasted cherries are are served. Was it mascarpone or or 
with some yeah, well, cheese you know, compliment. That would be absolutely delicious. I actually served them with a little sour cream. Sour cream, that was you know, it. So and straightforwardly Italian. Yes. Yeah, but so so to explain the roasting of the cherries first, I mean, obviously cherries, I like to eat them right off the stem, you know, and spit out the pits. That's a, the definition of summer to me. So I wanted to keep that spirit alive in the recipe, but also caramelize them a little bit, give them like a little bit of outside flavor. I lightly kiss them with like a little bit of red wine vinegar, olive oil, and honey, and then just roast them. And it's a really quick hands-off process. And they come out and you can sort of serve them like olives or, you know, like fresh cherries with the pits intact, with the stems still on, but they just fall, the flesh just sort of falls off the pit at that point. And if you dab them in a little bit of sour cream and I sprinkle them with like finely ground hazelnuts, it's like, it's sort of this like dessert slash savory slash like (laughs) very umami, you know, um, it's it's a spiritual experience. Yeah, I have, it, to say. I have to. I have to agree. Just from the sound of it, I can't wait to make them. That's the first thing I have roasted grapes and grilled peaches plenty in my time. But having roasted cherries, I will say has, that has not graced my table. And I will give you all the credit. But I can't wait to make them. Thank I you. Really can't. Uh, may I suggest you learn how to eat Italian style because you can pull off an impressive spread, just like Stacy, without formality but with beautiful elegance. James Beard award-winning author Stacy Adamondo makes plates and platters and gorgeous bites for sharing, inspired by the regional antipasti of Italy in the book Piatti. It is an essential, beautiful lesson of a book for any food lover, and it is available on Amazon and in bookstores nationwide, and you can find Stacy's tour schedule at stacyadamondo.com and on social at Stacy underscore Adamondo. I'll talk to you soon. Stace, thank you again. Thanks so much. Yes, of course. As the delicious conversation continues, this is true culinary exploration, and you wouldn't want to miss a minute now, would you? Don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen, we'll be right back. This is a place for people that love to eat. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Not only are s'mores a perennial favorite, they are trending, popping up on menus everywhere. The new cookbook, S'mores, Gooey, Melty, Crunchy Riffs on the Campfire Classic, offers 50 mouth-watering recipes redefining what a s'more is. Author Dan Whalen proves that the s'more goes way beyond the campfire. Every recipe in his book is a stacked sandwich, but the flavors and the ingredients are full of surprises. Dan Whalen is the culinary mad genius creator of the popular recipe blog, 
vlog the food in my beard, and he's here to dish. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Great time of year to talk about s'mores. Yes, I think you believe every... Uh, any all times of year <laughs> are good to talk about s'mores. Is is that true? Yeah, definitely. But I'm I'm doing my first uh, camping trip of the year, leaving in a few days. So nice. Uh, I'm I'm ready to bring this book and just uh, roast a million marshmallows. I I like that plan. Um, what is it about s'mores that inspired you to dedicate a cookbook to it? Well, I just love the nostalgia. There's not really many foods where you can think back to like where you were when you ate it Hmm. and who you were with and how your feet felt in the grass and how the fire felt um, in front of you. Uh, I really think like I can remember like eight different times that I ate s'mores in my life and there's no other food that is like that. So Hmm. I wanted to really approach it with that sort of that sort of mindset, but then take the recipes to like all sorts of different crazy directions. Yeah, you really did. You elevated, which I love, but you just made me nostalgic. I mean, it does make you remember, conjure up those uh, childhood, warm, you know, lovely memories of when you roasted s'mores or when you were first introduced to the marshmallow and the absolute beautiful epiphany of it. What is the history of the s'more before we get into the recipes, please? Because the s'more has been around a pretty long time, right? Yeah. So the first uh, actual recipe of the s'more as we know it today was uh, published in a Girl Scout magazine from 1925. Wow. But the... the ingredients that go into a s'more uh, have been around, I mean, pretty much forever. Yes. Like the ancient Egyptians are the first people to start messing around with marshmallow. And, you know, the Aztecs and Incas had, had their chocolate in South America. So, like, these are things that have existed forever, but they were only put together in this way, you know, 100 years or so ago uh, by the Girl Scouts. Right, the culinary genius of combining all of these fabulous flavors. Could you school us on marshmallow cooking to start, please? Because you talk about in the book four main methods for cooking marshmallows, and there is an art to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's funny, I really like to kind of focus on the psyche of like the people who like to have it barely brown and the people who like to have it super like burnt. Almost burnt, um, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there's four different ways that I focus on uh, in the book. So I really, it, I wrote the recipes around using your broiler and your oven uh, because I wanted it to be accessible. I wanted it to be year round and I wanted it to, to be sort of uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mentioned, I probably did it the most on top of my gas stove uh, because that's the easiest way to do one single marshmallow. And uh, also I used a, um, a butane torch a lot. Uh, and of course, the the fire is uh, the open fire is the the best way, the preferred way. Yes, yeah. And then you talk about um, using your broiler, and with any method, I think it's all about timing, right? I mean, it's really about watching and turning and focusing on getting that even caramelization. I am, by the way, just so we can better get to know one another, I am the very toasty marshmallow kind of person, but not to the burnt black state. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. I think most like most food people 
probably are that way because that's obviously the correct way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or so we think, right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's dig in. I love the idea of your salted caramel as an addition to the classic as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a lot of people's starting place for um, the world of salty sweet. Mm-hmm. And that's 100% my favorite type of recipes, which you probably can tell if you flip through this thing y- at all. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I did a lot of the salty sweet stuff. And, um, you know, that's probably the, that's like the, the beginning to a whole new world. <laughs> yeah, th- that's definitely uh, the, uh, growing the the s'mores passion. Um, it's brilliantly unconventional. Um, and the book is just so much fun. Congratulations to you and truly inspired. Dan Whalen is putting oh, the, so of course, putting the more in s'mores. He's the mad genius behind uh, a ton of really insightful and fabulously uh, delicious food loving books. And so that you can enjoy your s'mores all year long. Every recipe is designed to be made in the broiler as well as over a campfire. The book is called S'mores, Gooey, Melty, Crunchy Riffs on the Campfire Classic. It is written by Dan Whalen, and it is available on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, Cheers to s'mores all throughout the summer, Dan. Thank you uh, again for uh, sharing the sweet side. Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of serving up delicious knowledge and delicious dishes for the weekend. If you're hungry for more, check out my podcast on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. And meet me here next weekend when there's lots more fabulous food in your radio. But don't go just yet. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation and gastronomic inspiration. Everyone loves this recipe. All of my friends make it, and it is one of my most requested, but I don't think I've ever shared it on the radio. So I'll post it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on my pages at Chef Jamie Gwen because you are going to want to make these way too easy candied walnuts. No oven, no egg white, no fryer. In just five speedy minutes, you have this gloriously addictive candied walnut for salads or sweets. That's if you can resist eating them along with your cocktail later tonight. And there is no need to toast the nuts first because they toast in the pan as they caramelize. Just four ingredients, walnut, sugar, butter, salt, I will post the recipe. Please become a friend and a fan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. You'll find my way too easy candied walnut recipe posted there. And I will meet you here next weekend for more delicious conversation. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off and happy Father's Day once again, glorious dads. I hope you continue to eat well. <laughs>